11. Roberts for the first time was placed in command, shortly before the armistice two other white officers were attached to the regiment, in the persons of Major William H. Roberts, a brother of the colonel, and Captain John F. Prout, 2nd Lieutenant M.F. Stapleton, white, also served as adjutant of the 1st Battalion. The 370th received brief training at Camp Logan, Houston, Texas, and landed in France April 22, 1918, going within a few weeks into actual service. Like nearly all of the new regiments arriving at that time its operations were confined mainly to trench warfare. Trench warfare continued until July 6, when the men got their real baptism of fire in a section of the Argonne and were in all the important engagements of their portion of the Champagne and other fronts fighting almost continuously from the middle of July until the close of the war, covering themselves with a distinction and glory, as knights in the warfare for mankind, that will endure as long as the story of valorous deeds are recorded, like the other regiments of the 93rd Division, the 370th was brigaded with the French, first with the 73rd French Division and later under direct command of General Vincennes of the 59th Division, a part of the famous 10th French Army under General Mangin. Shortly after the signing of the armistice, the division commander sent the regiment the following communication, officers, non-commissioned officers and men, your efforts have been rewarded. The armistice is signed. The troops of the Entente to whom the armies of the American Republic had nobly come to join themselves, had vanquished the most powerful instrument of conquest that a nation could forge the haughty German army acknowledges itself conquered. However hard our conditions are, the enemy government has accepted them all. The 370th or IUS has contributed largely to the success of the 59th Division, and has taken in better strife both cannon and machine guns. Its units, fired by a noble order, got at times even beyond the objectives given them by the higher command, they had always wished to be in the front line, for the place of honor is the leading rank. They had shown in our advance that they are worthy of being there. The INC Indian. Black Devils, was the name the Prussian guard who faced them gave to the men of the 370th. Their French comrades called them, the Partridges. Probably on account of their cockiness in action a cop partridge is very game. And their smart, prideful appearance on parade. A general outline of the service of the Illinois men after coming out of the trenches. As well as an illustration of the affection and high appreciation in which they were held by the French is contained in the following order issued by General Vincennes in December, officers and soldiers of the 370th or IUS, you are leaving us. The impossibility at this time that the German army can recover from its defeat. The necessity which is imposed on the people of the Entente of taking up again a normal life, leads the United States to diminish its effectiveness in France. You are chosen to be among the first to return to America. In the name of your comrades of the 59th Division I say to you, Au revoir, in the name of France, I thank you. The hard and brilliant battles of Chavigny, Lurry and the boys to Beaumont having reduced the effectiveness of the division, the American government generously put your regiment at the disposition of the French high command, in order to reinforce us. You arrived from the trenches of the Argonne, we at first, at Marois-sur-Auerc, in September, admired your fine appearance under arms the precision of your review and the suppleness of your evolutions that presented to the eye the appearance of silken rolling in wavy folds. We advanced to the line. Fate placed you on the banks of the Aylet in front of the boys' mortier. October 12th you occupied the enemy trenches at Osire and Bruce. On the 13th we reached the railroad of Leonalfier, the forest of St. Gobain. The principal center of resistance of the Hindenburg line was ours. 
November 5th the Serre was at last crossed and the pursuit became active. Major Prout's battalion distinguished itself at the Val Street Pier, where it captured a German battery. Major Patton's battalion was first to cross the Hersong Railroad at the heights of Obenton, where the Germans tried to resist. Duncan's battalion took Logny and, carried away by their ardor, could not be stopped short of Dihashus on November 11th. After the armistice, we had hardly time to appreciate you and already you depart. As Lute, Colonel Duncan said November 28th, in offering to me your regimental colors as proof of your love for France and as an expression of your loyalty to the 59th Division and our army, you have given us of your best and you have given it out of the fullness of your hearts, the blood of your comrades who fell on the soil of France mixed with the blood of our soldiers, renders indissoluble the bonds of affection that unite us, we have, besides, the pride of having worked together at a magnificent task and the pride of bearing on our foreheads the ray of a common grandeur. The INC Indian. Illustration, this is a facsimile reproduction of the original, printed hurriedly near the field of battle and also translated hurriedly without eliminating errors, corrected on page 155, to the 370th belongs the honor of the absolutely last engagement of the war. An objective had been set for the regiment on the morning of November 11th. General Vincent heard of the hour at which hostilities were to end and sent an order to the regiment to shorten its objective. The order failed to arrive in time and ten minutes after the fighting was over loot. Colonel Duncan led the 3rd Battalion over the German line and captured a train of 50 wagons. General Vincent said, Colonel Duncan is the hardest man to stop fighting I ever saw. He doesn't know when to quit. One of the most daring exploits by a member of the regiment was that performed by Sergeant Matthew Jenkins a Chicago boy and member of Company F. On September 20th, at Montesinges, he went ahead of his comrades and captured from the Bosch a fortified tunnel which by aid of his platoon was held for 36 hours without food or ammunition, making use of the enemy machine gun and munitions until relieved. This gained for Sergeant Jenkins the Croix de Guerre with Palm and the Distinguished Service Cross. A deed of remarkable bravery accompanied by clever strategy was performed by Captain Chester Sanders and 20 men mostly of Company F. It won decorations for three and the unbounded admiration of the French. Captain Sanders and his men offered themselves as sacrifices in an effort to draw the fire of about a dozen German machine guns which had been working havoc among the Americans and French. The Illinois men ran into the middle of the road knowing they were under German observation. Instantly the Germans, suspecting a raid on their lines, opened fire on the underbrush by the roadside, figuring the Americans would take refuge there. Instead they kept right in the center of the road and few were wounded. The ruse had revealed the whereabouts of the German guns, and a short time later they were wiped out by French artillery. Another hero of Company F was Lieutenant Harvey J. Taylor, who found himself in a nest of machine guns on July 16 in the western part of the Argonne Forest. He received wounds in both legs, a bullet through one arm, a bullet in his side, had a front tooth knocked out by a bullet and received a ruptured eardrum by another. After all this he was back in the lines October 24th at Soissons. The Germans were making a counter-attack that day and when the battling colored men needed supplies, Lieutenant Taylor, who was regimental signal officer, proceeded to get the supplies to them. Though he had to pass through a German barrage, he was badly gassed. He received the Croix de Guerre with a special citation. Lieutenant Elmer D. Maxwell won his cross in the Champagne, six miles northwest of Lyon. He led a platoon of men against a nest of machine guns, taking four guns and 18 prisoners. 
not to speak of leaving behind a number of Germans who were not in a condition to be taken prisoner. Many of the officers of the regiment were wounded. The escape of many from death, considering the continuous fighting and unusual perils through which they passed, was miraculous. The only officer who made the supreme sacrifice was Lieutenant George L. Giles of 3833 Calumet Avenue, Chicago. He was the victim of a direct hit by a shell at Grand Luck on November 1st while he was heroically getting his men into shelter. Loot. Giles was very popular with the men and with his brother officers. He was popular among the members of the race section in which he lived in Chicago, and was regarded as a young man of great promise. One of the engagements of the 1st Battalion that received more than honorable mention was on the morning of November 6th. When the battalion crossed the Hindenburg Line and after extremely hard fighting captured on St. Piermont, 377 guns and two machine guns, Captain James H. Smith of 3267 Vernon Avenue, Chicago, commanded the company, and Lieutenant Samuel S. Gordon of 3842 Prairie Avenue, Chicago, the assault forces making the capture. The battalion continued across the Serre River and when the armistice was signed was at a small place in Belgium. Several of the officers passed through practically all of the fighting with hardly a scratch, only to be taken ill at the finish and invalid home. These men would have been greatly disappointed had the war continued after they were put out of action. Conspicuous among them was Lieutenant Robert A. Ward of 3728 South Wabash Avenue, Chicago, of the Trench Mortar Platoon, Lieutenant Benjamin A. Browning of 4438 Prairie Avenue, Chicago, and Lieutenant Joseph R. Wheeler. 3013 Prairie Avenue, Chicago, Major Rufus Stokes led the 1st Battalion on the initial raid at Vauquois. They fired 300 shells from six trench mortars and scored a notable success. In that raid Private William Morris of Chicago, the only man in the regiment who was captured by the Germans, was taken. He was reported missing at the time, but weeks later his picture was found among a group of prisoners portrayed in a German illustrated newspaper found in a captured dugout. Three men were killed and a large number of others had a miraculous escape while entering Lyon a few days prior to November 1st. A German time mine exploded tearing up a section of railroad track, hurling the heavy rails into the air, where they spun around or flew like so many arrows. First Lieutenant William J. Warfield, Regimental Supply Officer, a Chicago man, won the Distinguished Service Cross for Extraordinary Heroism in Action near Firm de la Riviere, September 28th. Sergeant Norman Henry of the Machine Gun Company, whose home is in Chicago, won the Distinguished Service Cross for Extraordinary Heroism in Action near Firm de la Riviere, September 30th. Other members of the regiment upon whom the DSC was conferred by General Pershing were, Captain William B. Crawford, home address, Denison, Texas, for Extraordinary Heroism in Action at Firm de la Riviere, September 30th. Sergeant Ralph Gibson, Company H. A Chicago Man, for Extraordinary Heroism at Boney, November 8th. Sergeant Charles T. Monroe, Headquarters Company, for Extraordinary Heroism in Action at Mont Singes, September 24th. His home is at Senrog, VA. Sergeant Emmett Thompson, Company L. Home in Quincy, Illinois, for Extraordinary Heroism at Mont Singes, September 20th. Supply Sergeant Lester Fossey, Company and Home at Metropolis, Illinois. For Extraordinary Heroism at Firm de la Riviere, October 5th, Private Tom Powell, deceased, Company H, For Extraordinary Heroism near Boney, November 8th, Private Spurley Irby, Company H Home at Blackstone, VA. 
for extraordinary heroism in action at Boney, November 8th, Private Alfred Williamson, Medical Detachment, Home at San Diego, California, for extraordinary heroism in action near Boney, November 8th, Private William G. Hurdle, Machine Gun Company No. 3, Home at Drivers, VA. For extraordinary heroism in action at Firm La Foley, September 30th, Private Harry Pearson, Machine Gun Company No. 3, Home at Portland, Oregon, for extraordinary heroism in action near Firm La Foley, September 30th, Private Alonzo Walton, Machine Gun Company No. 3, Home at Normal, Illinois, for extraordinary heroism in action at Rue Langer and Pontme, November 7th and 9th, Private Leroy Davis, Company L Home at Huntsville, Missouri, for extraordinary heroism in action at Montesinges, September 18th, Illustration, Negro Warriors administering cold steel, Germans unable to stand the attack, surrendering, in the Argonne Forest France, about 50% of the 370th met casualties of some sort during their service in France, like the New York Regiment heretofore mentioned, they were singularly free from disease. Only 65 men and one officer were killed in action and about 30 died from wounds. The total number wounded and missing was 483. Probably 1.000 men were gassed and incapacitated at times, as the regiment had three replacements, necessary to make up its losses. The regiment went to France with approximately 2.500 men from Chicago and Illinois, and came back with 1.260. Of course, many of the wounded sick and severely gassed were invalid home or came back as parts of casual companies formed at hospital bases. The replacement troops which went into the regiment were mostly from the southern states. A few of the colored officers assigned to the regiment after its arrival in France were men from the officers' training camps in this country and France. The 370th boasted of the only race court marshal in the army. There were 13 members, Lieutenant Colonel Duncan presiding. Captain Lewis E. Johnson was the judge advocate, and Lieutenant Washington was his assistant. It is not of record that the findings of the court-martial were criticized. At least there was no scandal as there was concerning court-martial proceedings in other divisions of the army. The fact is that there was very little occasion for court-martialing among the men of the 370th. The behavior of the men was uniformly good, as is attested by the fact that every town mayor in France where the men passed through or were billeted complimented the officers on the splendid discipline and good behavior shown. Colonel Roberts, a veteran cavalryman, was very fond of his men. He has repeatedly paid them the highest compliments, not only for their valor and soldierly qualities, but for their quick intelligence, amenity to discipline, and for the clean living which made them so remarkably free from disease. He has stated that he would not know where to select a better group of men for everything that goes to make up efficient dependable soldiers. Colonel Roberts received the Croix de Guerre, with the following citation, a commander entirely devoted to duty. He succeeded by dint of working day and night in holding with his regiment a difficult sector, though the officers and men were without experience. Under heavy shelling, he personally took charge of a battalion on the front line on October 12th and led it to the objectives assigned by the crossing of the Aylet Canal. American historians may not give the Negro fighters the place to which their records entitled them, that remains to be seen, from the testimony of French commanders. However, it is evident that the pages of French history will not be printed unless they contain the valiant, patriotic, heroic deeds of the Illinois and New York regiments with their comrades of the 93rd and 92nd Divisions.
in the various sectors to which they were assigned, they were in virtually every important fight, they met the flower of the Kaiser's forces, held them and on more than one occasion made them retreat, the Hun had misjudged them and it was fortunate that he had, they endured their share of hardship, marching many weary miles, day after day, without sufficient food, nothing could affect their spirit and dash, when the call came, they went over the top, that the world might be made safe for democracy, among the officers and men of the 370th were represented about every calling in which the Negro of this day engages, there were men of professional pursuits, lawyers, doctors and teachers, students, mechanics, businessmen, farmers and laborers, the poet of the regiment was Lieutenant Blaine G. Alston, the following little poem, if properly digested and understood, tells volumes within itself, over there, did you ever hear a bullet whiz, or dodge a hand grenade? Have you watched long lines of trenches dug by doughboys with a spade? Have you seen the landscape lighted up at midnight by a shell? Have you seen a hillside blazing forth like a furnace room in hell? Have you stayed all night in a ruined town with a rafter for a bed? With horses stamping underneath in the morning when they are fed? Have you heard the crump crump whistle? Do you know the dud shells grunt? Have you played red in a dugout? Then you had surely seen the front. Loot. Blaine G. Alston. 370th Troops. Chapter XVII Narrative of an Officer Special Article by Captain John H. Patton. Adjutant of 8th Illinois summarizes operations of the regiment from first call to mustering out an eyewitness account in training camps. At sea. In France service in Argonne Forest many other engagements a thrilling record battalion operations in detail special mention of companies and individuals. Captain John H. Patton. Regimental Adjutant of the 370th who commanded the 2nd Battalion through most of its service, presents a summary of the operations of the regiment from the first call to the mustering out, being in charge of the organization's records, his account is detailed, authentic and highly valuable as supplementing the data of the previous chapter, gleaned from departmental records and other sources, it carries additional interest as being the testimony of an eyewitness, one who participated in the stirring events in a marked and valorous degree. The recital in Captain Patton's own words, the phrase of a highly trained and efficient military man, follows, pursuant to the call of the President, under date of July 3, 1917, the 8th Illinois Infantry reported at the various rendezvous on July 25, 1917, as follows, at Chicago, Illinois Regimental Headquarters, Headquarters Company, Machine Gun Company, Supply Company, Detachment Medical Department, and companies A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and H, at Springfield, Illinois, Company I, at Peoria, Illinois, Company K, at Danville, Illinois, Company L, at Metropolis, Illinois, Company N, on the date the regiment responded to the call Colonel Franklin A. Dennison commanded the regiment, the other field officers being Lieutenant Colonel James H. Johnson, Major Rufus M. Stokes, Major Charles L. Hunt, Major Otis B. Duncan and Captain John H. Patton, Regimental Adjutant. The strength of the regiment a short time before responding to the call was approximately 1,000 officers and enlisted men, and orders having been received to recruit to maximum strength. 3604 enlisted men. An active recruiting campaign was begun. On July 25, 1917, the strength was approximately 2.500. Soon afterwards orders were received that the regiment would be organized according to minimum strength tables of organization, which gave it an authorized strength of 2.138 enlisted men, 
After reporting that the regiment already had several hundred men in excess of that strength, authority was granted to retain the excess men. From this time until demobilized at Camp Grant in March, 1919, the regiment had from 600 to 1.300 men in excess of its authorized strength, and upon arrival in France in April, 1918, the entire personnel consisted of men who had voluntarily enlisted. Intensive training was begun immediately after the regiment reported at the various armories and the public streets in the vicinity were utilized for this purpose until October 12, 1917, on which date the various organizations entrained for Camp Logan, Houston, Texas, arriving a few days later. While stationed at Camp Logan, the regiment was engaged in intensive training. Officers and enlisted men attended the various schools established by the 33rd Division to which the regiment had been attached and acquitted themselves with credit. At the end of October, 1917, on the date of the closing of the Second Liberty Loan Campaign, out of a total of 2.166 officers and enlisted men belonging to the regiment at that time, 1.482 officers and men subscribed 151.400.00, while at Camp Logan. Approximately 96% of the regiment took out 10.000.00 war risk insurance per man. On December 1, 1917, the official designation of the regiment was changed from the 8th Illinois Infantry to the 370th Infantry. On March 6, 1918, the regiment left Camp Logan en route to Camp Stewart, Newport News, VA, arriving on March 10, 1918 and immediately taking up its interrupted intensive training. While at Camp Stewart, VA, Lieutenant Colonel James H. Johnson was discharged from the service, and Major Otis B. Duncan, who had commanded the 3rd Battalion, was promoted to the grade of Lieutenant Colonel and Captain Arthur Williams was promoted to the grade of Major and placed in command of the 3rd Battalion. On April 6, 1918, the regiment embarked on the SS President Grant en route overseas. In attempting to get out to sea, the vessel ran aground in Hampton Roads and three days later having been refloated, the journey overseas was resumed. On account of this delay the journey was begun without convoy, the warships assigned to this duty having departed as scheduled on or about April 6, 1918. On April 20, 1918, the steamer was met by a convoy of torpedo boats which accompanied us to Brest, France at which place the regiment arrived on April 22, 1918. The following day, April 23, 1918, the regiment debarked and marched to camp at Pontonezan Barracks, near Brest, and two days later entrained for Grand villers arriving on April 27, 1918, and taking station, the regiment, upon arrival at Grand villers was attached to the 73rd Division, French Army and orders were given for the reorganization and equipping of the regiment to conform to that of a French regiment. All American arms, ammunition and equipment were salvaged and French rifles, machine guns, ammunition, wheel transportation, packs, helmets and other necessary equipment furnished. Except for the uniform the regiment was outfitted exactly as were the French regiments of that division. French rations were issued with the exception of the wine component for which an extra allowance of sugar was substituted. The division sent officers to take charge of the instruction of the regiment in every phase of the work to be later undertaken and another period of intensive training was begun. Even French cooks were present to instruct our cooks in the preparation and conservation of the French rations. After six weeks training at this place, 
the regiment entrained en route to the front, arrived at Liney and Barrios Mews on June 13, 1918, and moved up toward the lines by easy stages. On June 21, 1918, the regiment began occupying positions in the St. Mihiel sector, completing the occupation on June 24, 1918, this being the first time the regiment had been actually in the lines. The division commander deemed it advisable to intermingle our troops with French troops in order that officers and men might observe and profit by close association with the veteran French troops. Thus the units of the 1st and 2nd battalions, which had been assigned to the front lines were intermingled with platoons and companies of the 325th Regiment of Infantry. Many valuable lessons were learned while in this sector, which was exceptionally quiet at the time except for occasional shelling and some scattered machine gun and rifle fire. Nothing of interest occurred while in the sector, and there were no casualties. On the night of June 30, July 1, 1918, the regiment, having been relieved in the sector, began withdrawing, and on July 3, 1918, the withdrawal had been completed without any losses. After resting a few days in the region of Ligniers Meuse, the regiment entrained en route to the Argonne Forest, Arriving behind the lines on July 6, 1918, the 1st Battalion, under command of Major Stokes, moving up immediately into the reserve positions at Brabant Escrutement Courcelles and later into the front lines in the center of resistance to Lofort, Subsector Hermont, the 2nd Battalion under command of Major Hunt took station at Raracourt, the latter moved up to a Locaray's Plateau of Gorgia at which place the Major located his commanding post. From this position companies of the 2nd Battalion were sent into the lines alternately, the companies being relieved after a five days tour of duty. On July 12, 1918, Colonel Franklin A. Dennison, who had commanded the regiment up to this time and had become incapacitated through illness contracted during the strenuous days incident to the preparation of the regiment for service in the lines, was relieved from command on this account and Colonel T.A. Roberts, cavalry, assumed command of the regiment. The 3rd Battalion under command of Major Williams, was held in reserve at Vraincourt, and only Company M of that battalion was sent into the front lines. This company took up positions in the supporting point at Puzimont on August 7, 1918, and remained until August 14, 1918. On August 1, 1918, the Stokes Mortar Platoon under command of Lieutenant Robert A. Ward took position in the lines in the subsector Vaquois, and on August 4, 1918, took an active part in a coup de main arranged by the French. His mission, filling in the gaps in the French artillery barrage, was so successfully accomplished that his entire platoon was highly commended for their work by the commanding general of the division. Although patrols were operating between the lines nightly and the positions occupied were under artillery, machine gun and rifle fire a number of times, the only losses sustained during the six weeks in the Argonne Forest were one killed one captured and four wounded. On the night of August 15, 16, 1918, the regiment was relieved from its positions in the forest and marched to a rampant and entrained four villages in the vicinity of Thames Muse for a period of rest. Arriving on August 18, 1918, upon arrival at the new stations, instruction was begun again, more attention being paid to open warfare than to a work incident to trench warfare. This training proved of great value to the officers and men in the latter days of the war, when the regiment was actively engaged in the pursuit of the enemy to the Belgian border. On September 11, 1918, the regiment left its various stations and proceeded by train to Betz, 
where it detrained and marched to stations in villages in the vicinity of Narayserawak Muse. On September 11, 1918, Majors Hunt and Williams having become incapacitated through illness and injury, were relieved from command of the 2nd and 3rd Battalions, respectively, and Lt. Col. Otis B. Duncan and Capt. John H. Patton were assigned to the command of those battalions. The battles of Shavigny, Lurry and the boys to Beaumont having reduced the effectives of the 59th French Division, the regiment was placed at the disposition of the division and was assigned as one of the three infantry regiments thereof. Upon joining this division the effective strength of the regiment was approximately double that of either of the two French regiments, and in future operations a large share of the work of the division fell to our lot. On September 15, 1918, the regiment received orders to move again toward the front. From Marais-Sarawak to the region of St. Banbury Muse the movement was made in motor trucks. On September 16, 1918, the journey was resumed, the regiment proceeding by marching. Upon arrival at Tardier, Companies F and G were sent to Montecuving to join the 232nd Regiment of Infantry, and Companies I and L pushed forward to Bagnuane to join the 325th Regiment. The 1st Battalion proceeded the next day to the caves in the vicinity of L's queries. The 3rd Battalion moved up into the reserve in the region of Antioch Farm with the remainder of the 2nd Battalion. As soon as Companies F, G, I and L had moved up and taken position in the lines opposite Montesines an attack was ordered. Attacks on the enemy positions on the plateau of Montesines were almost continuous from the date of arrival of these companies until about September 21, 1918, when they were withdrawn and joined their battalions. These companies acquitted themselves with credit. One platoon under command of Sergeant Matthew Jenkins, Company F took a large section of the enemy works for which the sergeant was awarded both the French Croix de Guerre and the American Distinguished Service Cross. About the 22nd of September, the regiment for the first time took over a full regimental sector, the battalion Stokes relieving the battalion Garnier in the positions outlined by La Folie Lecluse on the Canal Malaz Lane and the farm Gulamine. The battalion Patton going into the support positions at Montestoums and the battalion Duncan going into a reserve at Dinkala Farm. Colonel Roberts located his commanding post at Antioch Farm. From the date of arrival in these positions until the enemy began to retreat on October 12, 1918, the entire area occupied by the regiment was almost constantly shelled, gas being used frequently. The front lines were almost constantly under the fire of enemy men and werfers and numerous machine guns located in the Bois de Mortier, a very dense wood north of the canal. On the night of September 26-27, 1918, the battalion Patton was ordered to relieve with like units one half of each of the companies of the battalion Stokes in the front lines and soon after the relief was completed an attack along the Laws Lane Canal was ordered. By the extreme of effort the remainder of the battalion Patton was brought up and having completed the relief of the battalion Stokes, the attack began as ordered. The attack continued until October 4th, on which date all objectives had been gained and the enemy pushed back across the canal. On September 30th the battalion Duncan was thrown into the fight and two companies of the battalion Patton withdrawn to the support. The battalion Duncan was ordered to make a frontal attack which next, 